Chapter 11 of White Dandy, A Horse's Story, a companion book to Black Beauty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Joy, Detroit, Michigan. White Dandy, A Horse's Story, a companion book to Black Beauty, by Velma Cadwell Melville. Chapter 11 one autumn master determined to go west why he went i do not know but he was to stay some months they said how i did hope he would take me along but he did not be kind to dandy was his parting injunction as usual to herman the man who had succeeded park winters as holster of course i did not know what going west means and could not think that some months were longer than the time he had spent in chicago the morning he started, he came into my stall and talked to me a long while. Among other things, he said, Be a good boy, Dandy, and when I come home, we'll go and live at the farm, you and I. I did miss him so. The days were all dreary, and I dreaded to go to sleep at night, because I would be obliged to awake to a fresh sense of my loss. I cannot begin to give all my experience during his absence, but will note a few instances. Of a truth, I realized as never before what it is to be a horse. Dr. and Mrs. Wallace were not a happy couple. The latter was less outspoken than in the early days of her married life, but she was equally as self-willed, only more cunning and underhanded about it. Fred drank all the time but people could not ordinarily tell when he was intoxicated the barn boys said that he could quote, carry a good deal the two boys chet and carm were wild and lawless the former was smart and a great student though poor carm better but weaker was always in disgrace his teacher and father called him a numbskull and gradually the latter came to indulge Chet in everything, and deny Carm just as prodigally. There were two other children in the house now, Tommy and Elizabeth, or Bobby, as the little girl called herself, and others fell into the habit. I liked Bobby from the time Master first held the little yellow-haired creature on my back for a ride. She always clapped her little hands on seeing me and cried, Dandy! Dandy! I liked her for herself, and also because Dr. Dick loved her. It did me good to know that he had this little child to pet and think about. Things went well enough for a week or so after Master left. Then Chet began to drive me. Sometimes, when the doctor would use me for a long drive in the day, soon after dark, while I was yet eating my supper, the boy, with some companion, would come into the barn and put my harness on. Herman would object, and there would be a fuss between them, always ending in my being hitched in a buggy or road cart and driven out. It was the second time that this occurred that I discovered that Chet was under the influence of liquor, as was also his companion, and they carried bottles with them. Chet used the whip freely, and I went as fast as I could, but the oftener they touched those bottles, the harder they drove. And after what seemed to me hours of agony, they pulled up before a brightly lighted old building in the country, hitched me, and staggered in. 
The wind was raw and cold, and the sweat pouring off me. I surely thought Chet would remember my blanket, but he didn't. And there I had to stand, one, two, three, four or more dreadful hours, long before they came out. I was alternately chilling and burning. I ached and trembled. They drove me home as fast as they came, whipping nearly all the way, though I was doing my best. Herman swore profusely. People did not do that around the barn when Master was home. As he rubbed me down rapidly with a coarse cloth before blanketing me closely. How I felt! And thirsty! It did seem I must have water or choke, but he gave me none for some reason. By morning I was so stiff I could scarcely move. My breath was short and came hard, and my skin was hot. Dr. Fred ordered me early. "'I don't think Dandy is able to go out, sir, today,' Herman replied. "'The young gentleman had him out all night almost, and he is all stiffened up.' Dr. Fred muttered something and ordered out the bays, calling out to Herman as he drove off, to get Dr. Dick's box of horse medicine and give me acodite, two drops, doses of the tincture every two hours, until the fever was gone, then to alternate baronia and thus according to directions given in the book with the box. I noticed that I began to feel better pretty soon, and by afternoon Mrs. Wallace said she wanted me hitched up. Herman demurred, but had to finally give in. I was as stiff as ever when I got home again. That very night Chet harnessed me again, despite Herman's angry protest, and drove me ten miles. If only he had taken the trouble to look in my eyes, I am sure he must have seen how wretched I felt. This time he carelessly threw a blanket over me, but did not buckle it over my chest, and in a little while the wind had blown it half off me. It would have been entirely off, and it might as well have been, but for a corner catching on the top of the collar. That time Gray was showing in the east before he started home. With vile, profane words he bade me get up, emphasizing by stinging blows of the whip, saying to his companion that he must make the ten miles before his father was up. I suppose no man was ever compelled to stand tied to a post all night. If there had, he would surely be going up and down the earth preaching mercy and justice to those who have the power over horses. Another thing that made that night especially wearing was the fact that I was tied short, and my front feet were much lower than my back ones. Such a strain as I was on. It does seem that horses deserve a little consideration necessary to tie them in a decent spot. I have had many of my kind speak of this matter. In some villages the hitching places along the sidewalks are most uncomfortable, the animals being obliged to stand on a twist oft-times with the front feet lower and in a mud-puddle. Is it any wonder that we sometimes protest by vigorously pawing the sidewalks if we reach them? Give us our fair play. Well, I was too lame to go out at all after that night for a week. I had rheumatism. Had Master been there to treat me, I might have recovered. But Herman knew nothing about horse-doctoring, and so it ran on. If I did get a little better, it was only to be overdriven and exposed. Another time, there was to be a horse race five miles off, and Chet drove Prince and I in the buggy. 
Then I found out how it hurts to be a heavy-bodied, short-legged horse to be driven with a light-bodied, long-limbed one. He drove us, as usual, just as fast as he could make us go, uphill and down the same. More than once I thought I should fall, and by the time he stopped, I was whiter than ever nature intended me to be, being covered with foam. Prince was not nearly so tired, but he said it irritated and fretted him to be driven with a horse of my build. It was only a little country horse race, and the animals were chiefly working ones with neither inclination, strength, nor training for the race track. The men were wild with excitement, and betting was going on all around. After a while, three men got on their horses' backs and started. The crowd yelled and clapped their hands. The riders buried the cruel spurs in the horses' sides and leaned as far forward as possible. Of course, someone had to beat, and it was the long-legged, bony creature that won the first heat. Three times the same ones ran, and twice the long-legged one won. But the others had done their best, and yet more than that, I may say. Poor things! There they stood, sweat and blood covering their sides, every nerve and muscle overstrained, and their masters cursing them for their defeat. The entire afternoon was consumed in this manner. Among others, Prince was taken on the track. I knew by his eye and the poise of his head that he did not like it, but he behaved nicely until a cruel-looking fellow got on his back and dug the rowels in. With one bound he was off, and the rider had hard work to keep his seat. He won the heat and I could scarcely enjoy his victory, when, quick as a flash, he reached out, and catching the fellow by the shoulder, flung him headlong some feet away. Someone caught the bridle strapped, and as soon as the fellow could pick himself up, he flew at the offender, dealing him a blow between the eyes with a club, chancing to be handy. "'Hold on!' Chet cried. But another and another blow followed. My noble gray friend staggered, gathered up, staggered again, then fell. A half-dozen convulsive shivers passed over his frame, and he was dead. In a fury of anger and terror, the young master sprang upon Princess Slayer. They grappled, but stronger hands separated them, and Chet had only to put my harness in the buggy and get on my back and ride sorrowfully homeward. Dr. Fred was in a temper, to be sure, and immediately had an officer after the man who had killed his horse. All night, and for many nights, I could not close my eyes without seeming to see poor Prince in the death throes, and all because he dared to resent unfair treatment. I heard Herman say that the fellow had paid for the horse, and that Chet and his father had had a quarrel, and that Mrs. Wallace insisted on the former leaving home. "'Yes, she's mighty keen for the first woman's boy to leave home,' remarked an old man who worked around the barn. She's wantin' em out of the way so her young'uns'll get the property. Guess there won't be enough to fight over if Dr. Dick stays away too long, Herman replied. Speaking of horse races reminds me to say that if all race horses, or those that are made to run, could tell their stories, they would fill a volume with tales of injustice and suffering. All animals will, if humanely treated, do their best for their masters. But a kind word and reassuring pat will go much farther toward winning a race than all the spurs and curses in the world. Many a race has been lost through the very efforts made to win it. Coolness and self-possession are indispensable in both horse and rider.
I remember of being at a state fair with my master some years later, and witnessing a race. Among the competitors was a handsome little black horse, all grit and goodness, but, owing to its owner being partially intoxicated, it lost the stake, in consequence incurring his wrath, and how he did pound the noble little beast. A number of disapprovals rose from the multitude, but no one ventured to interfere. The animal was his, you know. End of chapter 11 Recording by Beth Joy, Detroit, Michigan